You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Gratitude, it seems, has been making a comeback recently. In the last few years, it has become a hot topic of research in psychology. Researchers such as Robert Emmons at UC Davis are investigating the connections between gratitude, health, and happiness. And they found an association between gratitude and well-being. In one study, researchers divided participants into three groups and asked each group to write a few sentences a week. One group was asked to write about things that had happened during the week that they were grateful for. And the second group was asked to write about things that irritated them or displeased them during the week. And this third group was just asked to write about things that happened that week with no intention as to whether they were good or bad. And the results? After 10 weeks, those that wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and they felt better about their lives. And surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer doctor's visits than the second group that focused on negative events. Curious, isn't it? Studies like this have shown connections between gratitude and well-being, and it seems gratitude is good for us. It leads to better sleep, healthier relationships. Gratitude is related to increased creativity, to motivation, and to decision-making skills. It's connected to reductions in aggression and hostility and decreased blood pressure, just to name a few. And these insights from research we know have made their way into popular culture. Public figures like Oprah have promoted lifestyles of practicing gratitude. Gratitude journals are on shelves in bookstores. Hashtag blessed or hashtag thankful, make the rounds on social media. And we're gearing up now for another week of focus on gratitude because we think we understand that being grateful can be therapeutic. But just what is gratitude? Is it a feeling? Is it a motivation? Is it an affirmation of a bond between a giver and a receiver? Renee Brown defines gratitude as, quote, an emotion that reflects our deep appreciation for what we value, for what brings meaning to our lives, and what makes us feel connected to ourselves and to others. 
However we define it, we value gratitude. And from a young age, we teach children to express thankfulness. This Halloween, we had all sizes of trick-or-treaters on our street. And often you'd see the parents hanging back just a little bit, waiting to see how their kids responded when given candy. Sometimes there'd be a little nudge or a reminder, what do you say? Don't forget to say thank you. We want our children to be grateful. We know that it's a good thing. And yet, and yet, in the second season of The Simpsons, a young Bart gathered with his family and his dad's boss around the supper table stuns everyone when his prayer for the meal is, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Now, before we're too harsh on Bart, we might remember the words read from Deuteronomy this morning. Now, remember the entire book of Deuteronomy is crafted as a series of farewell sermons by Moses to the people before his death. It was written generations later, however, to an entirely different audience, to folks who were in the late stages of the monarchy in Israel and then later during the exile, sometime around the 7th century BCE. And despite that big span of centuries, the writer of Deuteronomy seeks to have the book's hearers imagine themselves in the place of their ancient forebears imagine themselves standing there listening to Moses at the threshold of a new identity for themselves. So in chapter 8, the author reminds the hearers of what God has done for the Hebrew people who have wandered in the desert for 40 years. Remember the manna, the water from a rock. Remember the guidance when there seemed to be no way ahead. And then the author moves on to describe the land that they are about to be about to enter, using words of abundance and flourishing, a land of brooks and springs, a land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land of plenty. And then the writer has Moses offer a warning. Take care, Moses says. Watch yourself. You're going to have plenty, and life is going to be good, but the aged Moses cautions them, do not exhaust yourself forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not say to yourself, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Even Moses sees the temptation to imagine ourselves self-made, to be like Bart, convinced that, we, that all that we have is solely of our own doing. Now, it's a temptation that the Apostle Paul recognizes as well. 
In a previous letter to the church in Corinth, found in the chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul asked the church, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? How quickly, Paul says, we forget the help that we've received, the guidance that's been offered to us, how other people have assisted us along the way. Our focus seems to shift to our own efforts, as if we've gotten to this very moment in our lives all by ourselves, and gratitude just vanishes. Which leads us to a paradox. If it's true that gratitude is so beneficial to us, physically, mentally, and emotionally, then why are we so often so very bad at it? What leads us away from appreciation? What draws us away from thankfulness? Cornell psychologist Thomas Gilovich has found that often feelings of resentment or a sense of entitlement prevent us from experiencing gratitude in our lives. We are not very good, it seems, at understanding the situations of others, and he suggests that we more easily recognize obstacles we face, but fail to see our privileges. And he compares that to headwinds and tailwinds. We seldom pay attention to the tailwinds in our lives, to the support or the positive things in a particular situation. Instead, all of our focus seems to be on the headwinds, those things which hold us back or make an experience more difficult. He gives one example. They've done research on fan responses to the announcements of upcoming NFL schedules. <laughs> so in an NFL season, no team plays every other team. They just don't have enough time. So one's favorite team always plays a subset of other teams. And on the day that the schedules are announced, these researchers scour Reddit for fan responses to the schedule. And what they found is overwhelmingly the fans focus on perceived negatives. Oh, our schedule is so hard this year. Oh, the NFL has weighed the scales against us. This is the third hardest schedule in the NFL. Rarely, however, do folks look at it the other way and they say, oh, we've got a really easy schedule this year. Nobody seems to do that. It's as the 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer put it, we seldom think of what we have, but always about what we lack. Therefore, rather than be grateful, we are bitter. Now, psychologists also suggest that we have a self-serving bias, which means that when something good happens to us, we tend to give ourselves credit for something that we must have done to deserve it. But when bad things happen, we often look elsewhere. 
we place the blame on circumstances or on other people. But the practice of gratitude turns that self-serving bias on its head. The researcher Robert Emmons suggests that there are two key elements in gratitude. He writes, first, it's an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world. There are gifts and benefits that we have received. And then secondly, we also recognize that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. That it didn't stem from anything we necessarily did for ourselves in which we might take pride. He goes on to write, true gratitude involves a humble dependence on others. We acknowledge that other people or even higher powers, if you're of a spiritual mindset, gave us many gifts, big and small, to help us achieve the goodness in our lives, end quote. In other words, when we feel grateful, that feeling is linked to a sense of humility. It reminds us that there's a source of goodness outside of us. And that humility can open us up to relationships with the other, to doing things for other people. It's that link between gratitude and generosity that Paul is tapping into in our reading from 2 Corinthians. Paul, you see, is asking for money. Not for himself, but for the church back in Jerusalem, there's been some sort of financial difficulty with the early church there, and we're not quite sure what the situation was, but Paul's been collecting funds from many of the Gentile churches in support of the Jerusalem church. Curiously enough, though, Paul never uses the term money or offering. Rather, when he asks, he uses the word charis, the Greek word charis, which is translated as grace or thanks or sometimes blessing. So in doing so, what Paul is trying to do for his hearers is to underscore the role of gratitude in the life of the church. He writes, and God is able to provide you with every blessing, that is charis, with every grace, in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now, notice that Greek word charis can refer to an act of either giving or receiving. We can receive grace, and in turn, we can share grace with others. Thankfully for us, gratitude is something we can learn to do. It's a practice. It's a way of living. We do gratitude in our lives imperfectly, sporadically, but we try to be grateful. We might think of gratitude as a talent or a skill that we develop over time in our lives, starting with that guidance that we received as children, what do you say? But building upon that little kernel as we learn to receive and to give grace 
in all of life's circumstances. A little bit later in our worship today, during our prayers of the people, our response will be to sing the opening line of that great hymn, Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices. The hymn was written by the Lutheran pastor Martin Rinkhart during the Thirty Years' War as a table grace for his family and other church families. During the war, his city of Eilenburg received an influx of refugees, and the city was just crowded with a mass of people. At times, it was even under siege, and with all of those pressures, the residents of the city suffered greatly from disease and famine. And in 1637, his own wife died of the pestilence. And in that same year, he was the only surviving minister in the city for a time, performing over 4,000 funerals in that year alone. He wrote the hymn a year before his wife's death, and the words remain a powerful song of praise. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on the, our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Blessed with countless gifts of love. Both Paul and the writer of Deuteronomy caution us to pay attention to the stories that we tell ourselves. Because it's so easy to fall back onto that self-serving bias, to imagine ourselves as self-made, to lean on that American myth that we have been fed since birth, that we are self-reliant. Tell the full story, they remind us. Remember from where you came. Remember the graces received from generations past. Remember the countless graces which you have never earned, which you never could have earned. The graces which have brought you to this very moment, which sustain you even now. In our weekly Vespers on Zoom each week, we join in a simple act of prayer for the world. And it's fashioned on the prayer of examine from St. Ignatius with two parts. First, prayers of gratitude and then prayers of concern. And we always begin with the same prompt. In this moment, we are grateful for. Participants add their own words of thanksgiving, often for family or friends, sometimes for simple experiences of that week, sometimes for the beauty of creation, the season we may be experiencing at that moment, sometimes for simple kindnesses of others, sometimes for just the gift of technology that allows us to be together. But we always begin with gratitude. And then Vespers end with a closing blessing as we say goodbye. And my favorite one is the simple one from J. Philip Newell, which goes like this. 
the blessings of heaven, the blessings of earth, the blessings of sea and of sky, on those we love this day and on every human family. The gifts of heaven, the gifts of earth, and the gifts of sea and of sky. It's a reminder to me and to all of us that all is gift in the end. All is gift. So as the week of Thanksgiving unfolds for you, whether you're in the midst of a cooking frenzy in your house, or if your home is quiet, perhaps with an empty place at the table, let us all begin with charis, with grace, with those countless graces we have received and with those graces we freely give away. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.